Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Outrage Science Bites, the companion podcast to the Outrage Overload podcast. I'm David Beckmeyer, your host and Outrage Overlord. This is uh, day 29 of the NAPOD POMO Challenge. That's National Podcast Post Month. It's day 29 of a 30-day challenge to produce a podcast episode every day for the month of November for 30 days. So I have a whole podcast about outrage porn is what I call it. So it's like outrage-inducing media. So, you know, this is information that's designed to evoke strong emotions and particularly outrage. So this is the kind of content we see from news media. We see it in clickbait. We see it in online content. We see it on social media. And we see it from campaign um, fundraising and so on. And it's often uh, sensationalized and misleading. It can manipulate our perceptions, fuel polarization, and hinder you know, rational decision-making. So what I want to talk about today is kind of identifying this kind of content. And, you know, if you can't avoid it or you feel like you don't want to avoid it, at least kind of identifying that this is that and we should be sort of inoculated to it as best as possible. And maybe I'm just going to talk about the idea of quality information in general. You know, how do you, how can you assert some quality on the information you're looking at or dealing with? So I want to start with the whole questioning the source and how to do some evaluation on the source. So, you know, often when we're doing sort of confirmation bias or we're in our bubbles, we're like, if the source is somebody we like, we don't criticize it too much. We don't look at it too much. We're not very critical of it. And if it's somebody we don't like, we're, we're going to either ignore it or, you know, call it fake news or whatever. But sometimes we're in the middle somewhere and we're, we're trying to look up a topic or we're getting some news has been pushed our way, some kind of information content has been pushed our way. And, you know, so we may want to kind of evaluate that source and do some verification. And what I want to talk about there a little bit is we can do some of the same things that journalists do, right? So, you know, we talk about journalism is dead or it has no ethics, but I mean, the reality is the larger journals, the larger publications are still trying to do credible, you know, journalism, and they're still trying to follow journalism practices. And one of the big things about ethical principles and journalistic practices has to do with source vetting. And this is something that happens in those levels quite, if you're, if you're a reporter somewhere, you're going to have to be serious about how you select your sources and how you sort of present them to your editor. And so that kind of training and thinking about those sources, we can do the same thing. So if, if what you're looking at doesn't even have a byline, that, that right there is kind of a strike against it. Like nobody wants to put their name on this thing. It should, it should have a byline that takes you to like a real person where you can kind of see who they are, what their background, what else maybe they report on and what may what other publications they they work for things like that and if you can't even trace uh, if you if the article or whatever you're reading doesn't even have a byline that's something to um that's something to keep in mind you know and then you can kind of if you can find out more about them you can maybe see their credibility or you know relevance to this to this topic they're writing about like what if, other things have they written about it you know what are their qualifications things like that maybe you can see some of their biases in that work you know, and then you, you know, and that takes you more to the source credibility. So, you know, this is kind of looking at expertise and credentials and track record. Um, 
And then, you know, we can also, when we're looking at um, something from one source and we're not too sure about that source, we can we can obtain corroboration, right? Is anybody else saying something similar about this story? It's can, they, can you independently corroborate this, this report? Um, and this comes back to sort of checking for multiple sources. Um, and this is particularly true with sensitive or controversial topics because often those will be presented with some holes usually. There'll be some stuff left out. And that's often what we're talking about, maybe what I would say when we're talking about kind of misinformation, especially if it's a little bit more credible of a source and not just flat out wildness, wild and crazy stuff. But, you know, what they all do, or what particularly the more partisan organizations do, is they kind of leave stuff out and maybe, you know, don't go into some of the detail. They'll kind of focus on the headline, the main kind of point they're trying to make, and maybe not go into all the nuance of that story. And often there is more to that story that maybe makes it a little bit less outrageous. In other words, a little bit less, you know, mind-numbingly bad than than they're portraying it as, right? If you went, when you look at the reality a little bit, um, you know, and you can verify information. So that's fact checking. You know, we talk about that a lot. You can talk to other experts about that subject, see if they know anything. You can look at official published records, like sometimes there's public documents on these things, and you can see what those public documents said. So you can kind of carefully scrutinize these claims and the evidence. Um, and then it's important, you know, it's important that they're disclosing their sources. So if you're looking at something and so it's got a lot of anonymous sources and things like that, you know, again, you have to kind of question that. Why are there? Why aren't they citing where they're getting this information from? What sources are they using? So you should be able to confirm those sources as well, the sources of your sources, basically. You know, and I want to talk a little bit about the role of editors. So we talked before about that real publications are still doing, you know, trying to do journalism practices and journalism ethics. And there's a role for an editor there, right? So the, the editor, they, that reporter is going to have to talk to their editor about that source. And they're going to look at some vetting. They're going to do vetting on that source as well. And even if it is an anonymous source in the final report, which they try to avoid, there's got to be some good reason to use an anonymous source. The editor probably knows who it is. And they've done more reviewing and, and vetting of that information um, before that story goes out. So that's one thing editors do. They also, you know, look at the source credibility. So they'll they'll independently evaluate the sources. You know, whatever the reporter might have said, they'll go off and look at that some more. They'll verify information. So they'll check that the reporter checked facts and did their cross referencing and so on. Um, and they'll try to ensure some accuracy and fairness. So editors may try to, you know, make sure the reporting is accurate and unbiased and adheres to ethical journalistic standards. And they may challenge, and on that front, they may challenge the original reporter's assumptions and seek additional evidence. And so, you know, here's the challenge. For a lot of us, we don't have that editor. Who's playing that editor role in our lives when we're forwarding some some news we're excited about or, 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 or looking at, you know, sharing a story with somebody we know or talking about talking about something we think we know something about? Who's our editor that's checking our sources and checking our credibility, checking our facts, right? We need, we kind of need that editor role in our lives and you know whether it's somebody that maybe doesn't always agree with you or something else but if you don't have that editor role or if the publication you're looking at is one of these ones that doesn't have an editor role who's checking that journalist who's checking for accuracy and and that they're unbiased who's checking their facts who's confirming that their sources are legit um 
So I, I would say, you know, that's a, a biggie when you're talking about evaluating some piece of information you're looking at for its sort of quality. A huge one is all those things about the source and the message and applying some of the same journalistic practices that a, a, a quality pu- publication would. You know, and that includes the next thing, which is seeking multiple perspectives. We talked about this a lot. So you can try to see, is there are some other publications, uh, you know, presenting any diverse perspectives? It's, it's, you know, you might feel tempted to only go seek out people that are saying, the, positioning the story in the same way. You should try to see if you can find somebody positioning the story from a different perspective, particularly if you can find, again, validating those sources and the credibility of those alternative uh, perspectives as well, right? So you want to see if they're from an established news outlet, maybe an academic journal, some kind of expert. And so then that's one piece of it, going and seeking out multiple perspectives. Obviously, we're going to try to fact check. I talked about this a little bit before, that we're going to try to fact check uh, some of the claims made to see if they're that they really back up. And again, sometimes there are public sources to go back and see what what is the original public source they're using this on. Maybe a court case, something like that might have data that you know maybe is a little bit less emotional than the way it's being presented. You know, and then we come back to those emotional triggers. You know, we talked all about a lot about a lot of cognitive biases, like uh, confirmation bias and many others, motivated reasoning and other things. And so, you know try to figure out whether you're being triggered because once you are triggered it's going to be difficult to perform any kind of validation checks try to you know go outside your echo chambers so you know we're almost always living in a world where we're checking the kind of from the sources that kind of give us the kind of news we're looking for you know see if you can go out and look for some sources that are maybe giving a, a different perspective, an alternative perspective, a diverse perspective to what you're what you kind of like <laughs> what you like the most. Maybe there's see if any of those stories have credible viewpoints that you that you want to, that might challenge your viewpoints. Um, you know, try to prioritize credibility over sensationalism. So the ones with the with the real bad clickbait and sort of exaggerated claims, emotionally charged language. You know, that's usually not a good place to get information, right? Um, so most things don't have to be presented with that kind of language. So, you know, maybe avoid those kind of so- sources. Go to sources that are more well-researched, they are more fact-based, and present in a more neutral tone. And then we get get into some of the basics like the civil discourse idea. So if you're going to present these things, I mean, and I see, I see this all the time from people that are sort of presenting this their brand is that they're really smart and they're really educated and they're you know they're the fact ones that looking at the fact and then they just use very uh, disparaging language to make an argument against you know towards some adversary in an argument you know if you're bringing the evidence and all that why then why do you need to do that like you can avoid those personal attacks and insults and generalizations and when you know it's like you don't need to use that language to make your point so, and I've seen that a lot. So people on all sides of, of these arguments do this. You know, we talked before about taking breaks from social media, taking breaks from other news media as well. So this constant exposure to this outrage-inducing content, you know, takes its toll. That's how you get an outrage overload. And so just disconnect sometimes. Like you don't, forget the FOMO, right? You're not going to miss anything. And if it's important enough, it'll find its way to your table. So... So take a break 
don't be freaked out about taking a break sometimes. You know, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about critical thinking skills. And I was going to do a whole episode about this and kind of decided that I'm not even, you know, qualified enough to do that. One thing I will say about critical thinking skills is so many times, most of the time in, in my experience, when people are talking about critical thinking, they are almost talking about the exact opposite. They're either talking about you be critical or, in other words, you're on, almost contradictory of sort of everything or the more common one even is of source, I'm very critical and I'm contradictory of anything that comes from sources I don't like. And then I'm just, I don't check anything and I'm not critical at all of things that are, you know, coming from sources I like. And we all do this to a degree, but, you know, try to catch yourself doing that. Try to, again, kind of put up these steel arguments. Don't put up a straw man argument, but put up a steel argument, as Lawrence Eppard says. Put up a steel argument against, you know, your your thinking on this. How do you, can you break down your thought and maybe, maybe it's not, be ready for, maybe it's not quite as firm as you thought it was. You know, and try to create those arguments and be ready for, for sources or information that will, that will question um, your your you know ideal outcomes and then again in the end all of this stuff is to make us more responsible both for our own sort of mental well-being and um and <laughs> lowering our temperature but also for making us a more responsible you know citizen right so we can you know combat uh, the spread of misinformation and you know kind of promote a more uh, nuanced and a more responsible uh, online or also just information ecosystem. So I guess that's where I'll wrap this one up. If you like these episodes, you may like the long form outrage overload podcast. That podcast is at outrageoverload.net. And you can find past episodes of this outrage science bites podcast at that website as well. You can scroll down. There's a link to outrage science bites at the bottom um, and we're on tomorrow's the last day of this 30-day challenge. So I don't even know what I'm going to do for the last day, but tomorrow's the last day. And uh, if you would like to have any thoughts for what what you'd like to hear me talk about, you can still reach me. It's not too late at outrageoverload at gmail.com. And I'm happy to hear your input and any, any ideas you might have for what we should do for the last day of this NAPOD POMO 30-day challenge. Thanks for listening and look for the final 30-day challenge episode tomorrow.